Thanks, Mandy. Okay, so here's the funny joke. Last service, I thought I was late, and I ran in, and I had another song. So this service, I think, I got plenty of time. Thank you for filling the time, Mandy. Uh, we did have a great week during vacation Bible school. Uh, we had about 250 volunteers, over 350 kids. Uh, it was just a pretty amazing time together. And I want to thank all of the parents who brought the kids, all of the volunteers. And I especially want to thank uh, Kristen McCaskill, our children's minister, and her team for just the great, great job they did during vacation Bible school. Uh, it, was, it was really wonderful. And we had lots of conversations with the kids. Uh, about their next steps toward Jesus. Uh, Thursday night, we followed up Vacation Bible School by talking to kids about their next steps. Some accepted Christ that night and uh, have made the decision to be baptized. We baptized five kids uh, just this last service. And so today, at the end of the sermon, we're going to provide an opportunity for anyone who needs to be baptized. That's your next step. You've invited Jesus Christ into your life, or maybe you are thinking about it, and we'll do that today. Uh, Jesus asked you to be baptized, so that's our next step, and we're going to do that at the end of this service. So you be praying, if you've never been baptized by your own choice, your own decision, about taking that next step this morning. Now, let's get ready to hear from God's Word from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. This is the word of the Lord. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. So this is a clamp. And a lot of you know about this. This is what you use to hold something in place, like a piece of wood when you cut it, or a piece of metal if you're working on it. But I want you to imagine that it could be used also on a human body. What would that feel like? So I need a volunteer. So Tyler, how about volunteering? Come on and on up. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, Tyler. Tyler, Tyler Williams, come on up. All right, give it up for Tyler. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, come on up. Now, Tyler, I am not going to use this on you. Okay, so you can kind of relax. Okay. Okay, but I want you to use it on me. All right, so I'm going to put my hand in there, and I want you to press it one time, okay? Okay, now at this point, I can feel this, right? I can feel the pressure. But it's not bad, right? I'm not in pain. Click it one more time. Okay, now, now I, can, I can, it's not really hurting, but I can still feel it. One more time. Now it's starting to hurt. But it's not yet an excruciating point. In fact, I could probably go through the rest of the day with it just like this and be okay. You know, I mean, I, it hurts, but not bad. One more time. Ow! Okay. <laughs> Tyler, thank you for hurting your pastor. I appreciate that so much. Would you give it up for Tyler? What a great job he did. Is there an orthopedic surgeon in the house? Okay, and so, so what do I want you to learn from this? I want you to learn, first of all, everyone experiences pressure. Everyone experiences pressure. Um, now, the pressure often is not a clamp, but how many of you have ever slammed a finger in a door? Okay, that's a different kind of pressure, right? But different kinds of pressure we feel. We feel financial pressure, 
most of us at some point in our life will feel a pressure of time. You know, we don't feel like we have enough time. Uh, we will feel a lot of relational pressure. Relational pressure comes uh, when a parent says to well, their teenager, you need to do better in school or you are going to be grounded. Yeah, some of you have been there on both sides of the equation. Relational pressure is what happens when your spouse says either things change or I'm going to leave you. Uh, relational pressure happens when a friend says, if you're really my friend, you'll lie for me. So we experience all kinds of relational pressure. There's work pressure, pressure to produce. How many of you have ever had that uncomfortable conversation with the boss that goes like this? Either your performance improves or you need to find a new place to work. Ugh, that's not comfortable. And so we come to church and we think, I need to escape from the pressures. And then often the messages in church are about, well, you need to give more, serve more, study your Bible more, pray more. You got to do all these things. And we end up feeling a lot of pressure at church. And that's why, frankly, some people avoid church. Pressure. Uh, something else I've learned from this experience is everybody who experiences pressure uh, will experience a feeling. Pressure causes feeling or feelings. So, you know, as Tyler was, was putting the pressure on me, I could feel it and then it became pain. It became painful. And how do we, as Americans particularly, how do we deal with pain? Well, most of us, when it comes to pain, uh, try to numb out. What do I mean by that? Well, we, we will either have a drink, kind of relaxes, or have five drinks so we don't feel, or have 12 drinks so we pass out. Or we will do some kind of recreational drug and put us really in the zone so that we're not feeling anything. All we're doing is going, dude. Okay, that's 70s drug humor if you don't get that. Um, uh, some of us, uh, we will uh, numb out to video games. Or, or, or we will numb out by watching hour after hour of TikTok videos, or we will numb out by uh, uh, binge watching Downton Abbey or Game of Thrones, right? We have all kinds, kinds of ways of numbing out. And, and listen, it's not a bad thing to escape. I mean, we need a vacation, we need a Sabbath. But if you numb out too much, you can lose all sensation of feeling and you can start to believe the pressure isn't getting to you. It actually is. You've just stopped feeling it. Now, here's the last observation is pressure uh, can produce. Pressure can produce. Uh, just like when uh, that last click, when Tyler clicked down on me that last time, it produced an action on my part. It's like I'm getting out of this pressure. How many of you, when you were in school, waited until the night before to write your term paper. Anybody? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, <laughs> right? I mean, we all did that. And sometimes we still do it. You know, we put off work projects until the day before they're due. Uh, sometimes it's not us, it's the boss comes in and, and says, hey, uh, I need this done. I need it done by tomorrow. It's like, well, it's gonna take 12 hours to do. And the boss says, right, that's why I know you're the person for the job. Uh, thanks a lot for all your confidence, boss. But if we make a different decision about the pressures in our life, we can have a different outcome. 
And, and this is really a big idea I want you to grasp for the day. You might want to write this down. You can decide what pressure produces in your life. You can decide what pressure produces in your life. So you can make a decision that pressure will produce a numbing behavior or maybe a blaming behavior or maybe even a victimization mentality or you can choose for it to do something different. Now we're in this series called Hope Grows. And we're talking about how hope can grow in our life because this is the theme of our year. We want to be people of hope. And hope can grow uh, not only in the work of God, which we talked about last week, but hope can also grow in suffering. And so we're going to dig in. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start at the last part of verse 2 and then go through verse 4. The last part of verse 2, and we touched on this last week, says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, now, what does that mean? It means that we rejoice when we see everything God is doing and we see everything that God is. How many of you have ever seen a beautiful sunset? Right? A lot of us have. And you just go, wow, isn't it amazing what God has done? But imagine when you're looking at that beautiful sunset, if you could just very quickly jump in a plane and fly up over the clouds. That sunset would look different, wouldn't it? And you would see even a more amazing sight. And you would realize that the sunset is even vaster, more broad, more beautiful than you could have imagined. That's why we have to lift our heads up from, from whatever we're dealing with in life and see this amazing broad work that God is doing. We can rejoice, we can boast in everything God is doing in this world. Now, Paul so is convinced of this, he leaps to a place that we don't want to go. Look at what he says as verse 3 begins. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Paul says, look, I'm not just going to boast in everything God does. I'm even going to boast in my suffering because I know God is working there. Now, before you dismiss Paul as some kind of nut and think, right, I'm suffering and I'm supposed to be happy, let's really consider what he has to say. The first and most important thing is you have a choice about how you respond to suffering. You have a choice. It is your decision. You can get mad at God. You can blame other people. You can blame yourself. Or you can rejoice. What's your choice? Now, Paul is connecting this idea with the last part of verse 2. Um, if we rejoice in all that God does, then we also need to rejoice in what God will do with our suffering. That's what Paul's trying to help us understand. Now, to help us with this, uh, the word that appears in verse 2, the last part, that is translated in the NIV as we will boast is the Greek word kachumetha. Kachumetha. Would you say that word with me? Kachumetha. Okay, that's a... It's pretty weak. Let's try this again. Kachumetha. God bless you. Because it does sound like a sneeze, right? Kachumetha. 
Okay, so I wanted to teach you that word because the NIV translates it differently, but it's the same word in verse two and verse three. In verse two, Paul says, we cut you metha in the glory of God. And then in verse three, he says, and we cut you metha in our sufferings. Paul's linking these things. He's using that same word deliberately to challenge us to find the good in what God is doing. And then he tells us to rejoice in our sufferings. The word suffering comes from a Greek word which means, guess what? Pressure. Because think about it, suffering's pressure, isn't it? You go to the doctor's office and he says, I have some bad news. Does that bring any pressure in your life? Absolutely. You got a marriage that's not working out, that bring any pressure in your life? <laughs> you better believe it. You got a kid who hasn't come home overnight, that bring any pressure in your life? Sure. And so suffering and pressure, they're the same. And Paul says that when pressure, when suffering comes, start looking for what God is doing. He's telling us that pressure's part of life. He can't escape it. And sometimes Christians get this idea, if I follow Jesus, I'll never suffer again. I'll never face any pressure again. But that's not true. The truth is, you're going to suffer in life. So what do you do with it? Now, let, let's be clear. As Americans, we don't suffer the way other people suffer, and especially not for our faith. I, I know people who say, I've suffered so much. I went to Walmart the other day and couldn't find a parking place close to the door. Okay, is that suffering? A couple of you are not, yeah, Pastor. No, no, that's not suffering. Okay. What is suffering? I want to tell you about a, a guy named Bagus. Bagus. Um, is a Jesus follower in a Muslim country, and he was interviewed by this journalist, and the journalist asked him um, why he decided to follow Jesus. And Bagus answered, it was because of my long, hard, troubled life. And, and so the journalist says, so when you finally decided to follow Jesus, your life wasn't troubled anymore? He said, not anymore. So what what did you do for a living before you followed Jesus? And he said, I was a trash picker. Which meant he went through all of the garbage and he picked up that which was valuable. And then she said, so now that your life is free from trouble in Christ, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm still a trash picker. Well, the journalist did some digging and found out that Bagus, this trash picker, is, is the leader of a house church. And there are 15 other Christians who meet in this house church and they have to meet in secret because they are in a Muslim community. But somebody in the village betrayed them and the Muslim authorities showed up one night and took them all out into a rice paddy. They had guns and they threatened to kill these 15 people, including Bagus, unless he renounced Jesus and returned to Islam. And Bagus refused. Fortunately, turns out the authorities were trying to bluff him into believing or returning. But they did have authority over his wife and his children 
And Bagus was forbidden to come home. He now is homeless. He gets to see his wife and kids about once a week. And so when the journalist found this out, she went back to Bagus and said, are you, are you really better off with Jesus? And he said, yes. And, and I quote him here. He said, I have never regretted my decision to follow Jesus. I am following him wholeheartedly. Are you that devoted to Jesus? And if you're like me, and the answer is, I'd like to be, the answer is, why not? Could it be that we love our comfort and our security more than we love Jesus? Could it be that when we are under pressure, we think first about our safety and not about the peace that passes all understanding? Paul is telling us, look, when the pressure comes, when the suffering starts to happen, it's a cue to turn to Jesus. And now he begins to show us exactly how this happens. And he, he builds a link, three links together, a chain. And so he goes on in verse 3 and he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. In other words, we can rejoice, we can kachumetha in our sufferings because we know that suffering is going to produce perseverance. What's perseverance? Well, perseverance is the strength to hold on. And there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to need that strength. There is going to come a time in your life where you need strength to hold on. It's the part of your soul that says, I'm not going to quit. It's what my grandparents used to call grit. You just have some grit that helps you get through. Do you think people quit too soon? I was talking with a guy several years ago, and uh, we, the conversation just went this direction. And he said, you know, Pastor, you know what the biggest regret of my life is? It's like, um, no, but I would like to know. And he said, my biggest regret in life is my first marriage. He said, we were young and we were both stubborn and we were both headstrong and we fought all the time and one day she left and I didn't go after her. And pastor, that was the biggest mistake of my life. And not too long after that conversation, uh, I was invited to this other couple's 50th wedding anniversary. And listen, if you've been married 50 years, that is an accomplishment. And so I, I knew the guy pretty well. And I, I don't know if I was thinking subconsciously about the conversation with the other guy I'd had a few weeks earlier. But I just, I said to the husband, I said, so 50 years, man, how did you do it? And he said, Clay, I didn't quit. We didn't quit. And he looked at me and there was, he said, there were times I wanted to quit. He said, there were times I wanted to walk away. He said, I know she seems like she can be a really sweet woman. <laughs> and you think I'm a really good man. And we're, I'm thinking we're headed into dangerous territory here. And he said, I wanted to quit. But I didn't. And she didn't. 
perseverance. So how do you build perseverance? When that pressure starts, you need to ask, what am I to learn? What am I supposed to learn from this? You know, not everything in your life comes from God, but God can work in everything in your life. So what are you supposed to learn from this? Now, I'm going to give you a clue. If you think the thing that you can learn from this is that it's not your fault, you're on the wrong track. Granted, maybe there are times when it's not your fault. <laughs> but you've got to be willing to do some hard introspection and realize that maybe part of the problem is you. So what can you learn? What is God trying to teach you? How do people like Bagus persevere? Well, they've learned first to look at themselves and see what God wants to do. The next thing you need to do to build perseverance is you need to ask God for strength and wisdom. Ask God for strength and wisdom. I listen to my own prayers, and I'm ashamed to say that often my prayers start with, Lord, make this problem go away. God, would you just make this problem go away? God, would you please just send me the money I need, you know, through an anonymous gift showing up in my mailbox, God, would you please, would you please just help this frustrating person in my life change or make them go away? Not permanently, Lord, just move, you know. Y'all pray prayers like this? Oh, come on. Right, right so, so I just want God to make my problems go away. And here's what I'm learning. God doesn't do that very often. Sometimes he does, sometimes he does. But more often what God does is say, Clay, you're on the wrong track. You need to pray for strength and wisdom. Strength to get through this and wisdom to know how to make a decision about it. Uh, John uh, uh, Lennox is a professor at Oxford University and he has studied perseverance. He's also a Jesus follower. He was doing an interview with a Russian follower of Jesus who had spent time in the Siberian labor camps. And as the man was describing what he had seen, and he was saying, I, I saw things no man should ever see. I saw incredible human suffering. John Lennox was thinking, oh my gosh, what would I do in this situation? I don't think I could endure. Because this man had been imprisoned for teaching his wife and children about Jesus. That's why he was in the gulag. And so I guess it showed on John's face because the Russian Jesus follower said, I can see that you're wondering if you could have coped. And John said, well, yeah, I, I listened to you describe this and I don't think I could have done that. I think I would have caved. And this Russian follower of Jesus said, I'm just like you. I couldn't stand the sight of blood, my own blood or anybody else's, before I went to the camps. He said, but once I got there, I found out that God does not help us to face theoretical situations. God helps us face real life. And then, and I want to give you the exact quote. 
This Russian follower of Jesus went on to say, I found that God met me exactly as Jesus had promised his disciples when he was preparing them for victimization and persecution. Let me tell you, perseverance is making sure your heart is open for the crisis moment that is coming. For God to give you the strength and wisdom you need. Now, like links in a chain, Paul says suffering produces perseverance. And now he says perseverance produces character. Now this word character means to test. It means something has been proven to be genuine. It was often used about metals in the ancient world where obviously you could be fooled by fool's gold as opposed to the real thing. Character is who you are when you're tested. Someone has said that character is who you are really under pressure. Which means, of course, then we have to ask ourselves, well, who am I really when I'm under pressure? Am I the kind of person when I'm really under pressure, when I'm suffering, I've got to lash out at somebody else? Am I the kind of person under pressure that blames other people? Am I the kind of person under pressure who just caves and says, oh, what a victim I am? Or am I the kind of person under pressure who can be like Jesus? See, if you're a Jesus follower, this is the tough question, isn't it? I mean, because we're supposed to be like Jesus, so are you like Jesus when you're under pressure? What was Jesus like under pressure? Well, let's just look at the last 24 hours of his life. You know, Jesus under pressure was not afraid to go to his heavenly father and say, this is what I really want. Please let this cup pass from me. Jesus, under pressure, though, also followed that prayer by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then Jesus had this amazing peace. So amazing. I mean, just think about it. When Judas comes with all those troops, and Jesus knows why he is there, what does Jesus say? How dare you come and arrest me? No, Jesus says, do what you came for, friend. When Jesus is before the Sanhedrin on trial and then before Pilate when they said to him, are you the son of God? What's Jesus' response? That's what you say. What incredible peace. And, and, and then Jesus is crucified on the cross. And yes, there's the physical suffering, but think about the weight of the sins of the world descending upon him. You think that's pressure? Thursday night when I was talking to the kids in the, in the starting point class, we were talking about um, the weight of sin. And, and so what happens if every sin is a pound? Every sin is a pound. And if you only sin once a day, okay, and I know some of us would like to work down to once a day, right? But let's just say you only sin once a day. In, in one year, how many pounds of sin have you accumulated? 365. And if you, you keep that pattern up for 10 years, that's 3,650 pounds. And a lot of you have sinned more than 10 years, right? 
and you actually feel that weight in your soul, now imagine that weight transferring to Jesus on the cross. You think it felt like pressure or suffering? And then imagine not just your sins, but the sins of the whole world. And yet Jesus on the cross did not cry out, Father, get me out of here. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It might be really good to be just like Jesus under pressure. So a path to this to growing your character is when the pressure comes, pray a prayer that goes like this, Heavenly Father, help me be like Jesus under pressure. Heavenly Father, when, when the pressure comes, help me be like Jesus. I'm, I, I'm the kind of person that I want everybody to like me and everybody to applaud everything I do. I know it, it's deep and I, I need therapy. Okay, so, but that's, that's who I am. Um, and, and in my, my, my role as pastor, a lot of times I have to have difficult conversations with people. And so this need to be liked sometimes really comes up. And I have learned to pray, Heavenly Father, right now I, I, I am feeling pressure in this conversation. I don't want to have it. It's not, I'm just afraid of how it's going to go. So help me be like Jesus. And let me tell you what's the result when I remember to pray that prayer. The result is, number one, I feel calmer. Now, I won't tell you that I feel all the way calm, but I do feel calmer. And then, and here's the other thing that really happens when I remember to pray that prayer, is I don't say things I want to say. Because sometimes, and I can be very judgmental. This is a character flaw. I can be real judgmental, and so sometimes when people are talking to me, I, I, can, I can sort of think, will you please be quiet? Because... What you're saying is stupid. And I don't say that anymore. And I'm praying that one day I won't think it anymore. That's my next step. Because if I really am like Jesus, I've got a piece that says, you know, all that really matters in my life is not what you think about me. All that really matters in my life is what Jesus thinks about me. And he's already told me how he thinks about me that I am his child, and there's nothing that can take me out of his father's hand. Now, the last phrase, you hear how this progresses. You know, we, we boast in our sufferings because suffering, pressure, brings perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. You see the chain? The choice you make in suffering either leads you toward hope or leads you away from hope. Numbing out doesn't lead to hope. Blaming other people doesn't lead to hope. Blaming yourself doesn't lead to hope. But when I look to God in my pressure, in my suffering, I can see he's at work. And even when I can't see he's at work, I can trust he is at work. And he is growing perseverance and character. And I know this is not going to last forever. And even, even if I'm going to die because of what's going on, my hope doesn't stop at death. My hope goes on for eternity. 
So what do we do with all this? We'll claim the hope that God is at work when you're under pressure. When you start to feel that pressure, again, it is God's call to you to start turning to him and to boast and rejoice and say, God, I can't wait to see how you're going to grow my perseverance, how you're going to grow my character, how you're going to produce hope in my life. God, I trust that you're going to bring good out of this, even if I can't see it right now, even if I don't see it while I am living. I trust you can bring good out of this. And God, even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear anything that is evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, to me, this is one of the best reasons to follow Jesus. This is one of the reasons why it is worth Letting go of control of your life and putting your life into God's hands because it means you will never suffer alone. It means you'll never have to deal with the pressures of life alone. There is a God and he will walk with you. And a lot of you have done that. Thanks be to God. And, and if today you are not in a pressure place, Give thanks to God that you're not in a pressure place, but thank God for being with you in all the times of pressure in your life. And maybe you even ought to think back to some of those times, times when it just felt like it was overwhelming, and you can realize that was God walking with you, giving you strength, giving you wisdom, producing perseverance and character and hope. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus and right now you're in the midst of the pressure, you're in the midst of the suffering, it's there and it's clamping down and you're wondering how much longer, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember you are not alone. You're not alone. And the promise of that Russian follower of Jesus is the promise you can claim, the promise that God's gonna show up with all the strength you need right on time, right on time. There's an old gospel song. My God may not always be early, but he's always right on time. And if you're not a Jesus follower, as I shared with you, I think this is one of the best reasons to follow Jesus. And today, you can make that decision to follow Jesus by confessing that you are a sinner. What you're doing is you're agreeing with God that that's reality. You can ask God to forgive your sins and the promise that he will is the cross. And you can then ask Jesus to lead you and guide you. And the promise that that happens is the resurrection. And so you give your life to Jesus. You pray a prayer inviting God to forgive your sins and come in. And now you're gonna follow him. And if you do that, the next thing that God wants you to do is be baptized. Why? Because it's a small step of courage. It's a small step of courage. I know some people are scared to be baptized because it's like, I have to get up in front of people. And I get that. Or maybe it's like, I'm afraid that the pastor is going to drown me. I have not drowned anyone in the baptistry yet. And we're not going to start today, okay? We're not going to start today. But it is a small step to overcome a fear which will prepare you for the next steps that Jesus wants you to take. And that small step will help you start to build perseverance 
because you're doing what God wants you to do. It'll start to build character and it's gonna bring some hope. And so maybe you've invited Jesus Christ into your life already, but you've never taken that step of baptism. Today's a good day to do it. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray for us and then the band's gonna come out and we're gonna sing a song and there'll be pastors here at the front. There are gonna be pastors up at front at Pacala and at Bishopville. And if you're watching online, you can just put in the chat box. I'd really like to talk to somebody about being baptized and we'll work with you to try to figure out how that can happen for you. But would you just come up and, and say to that pastor at front that I want to be baptized. I want to take that next step toward Jesus. We have clothes for you to change into. Then while everybody's changing, we're going to sing another song, and then I'm going to come out, and some other folks are going to come out, and we're going to baptize. So that's what we're going to do, and then we'll finish the service. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I just want to thank you that we, we never face suffering alone, and I want to thank you for Jesus who walks with us. And God, for those who are suffering right now, I pray that they would be looking to you about what they're supposed to learn, how you're going to work, and give them strength and give them wisdom. And God, I pray for any today who need to accept Jesus as Savior, that they'll take that next step and open their lives to Jesus, accept him as Savior and Lord. I pray, Father, for people who've taken that step and they've prayed, but they've never been baptized. They've never publicly declared their faith. I pray the day you'd give them the courage to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.